Hello and welcome to Reporter Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Medin, and today to discuss our article, The DACA Debacle, I'm joined by reporter journalist Kendra Murphy. Hey, Alex. Good morning. And Frank Novak, who is the practice group lead for Immigration Group at, uh, what is it, Harder, Seacrest, and Emory? Good morning, Alex. Yeah, good morning. Um, so we're going to be discussing DACA. And just to start, Frank, could you please explain for the listeners who don't really know what DACA is, what it is? Yeah. So back in uh, 2012, President Obama got a little frustrated with Congress, and he decided that with respect to undocumented people in the U.S., a subset of those people, he was going to tell the immigration officers that they should no longer go out looking for them in order to uh, deport them from the United States. And he said that they would get work authorization as well. And so this was a group of people, uh, roughly speaking, who had been living in the U.S. since 2007, who were born after 1981, uh, who had gone to high school or were in high school or had uh, honorable military uh, service uh, and were 16 years, under 16 years old when they came to the United States illegally, right? So they brought here by their parents. Uh, they were kids and they don't have lawful status in the United States. And the president said, hey, look, they're innocent kids. Um, we can't really solve the problem with Congress right now regarding what to do about them. And so we are going to uh, not seek to prosecute their deportation, and we're going to give them work authorization. So that was the DREAM Act in 2012. It, it was a memo issued by Department of Homeland Security. The DREAM Act was a proposed law uh, that Congress could have passed to address these kids. But Congress doesn't get a lot done these days, and back then it couldn't really address the uh, the issue either. And so the president acted on his own. Okay, I understand. Uh, and so for either of you to answer, why are we discussing this issue today, almost five years later? Um, because now President Trump is rescinding DACA, and so starting, I think October 5th was the last day for um, recipients to reapply, because um, it only comes in two-year increments. Um, and so there's all these people in our country um, that are now, you know, they have to ask the question, like, what do I do now? And I think that as college students, you know, we're very insulated from this issue here in our, like, you know, nice four-year university, you know, private, whatever. But, um, you know, these people are our peers. Um, we grew up with them and we know them and they experienced the same things that we did. And so I think it's really important to know what's going on with them and what the issue is, even if you know, perhaps from our day-to-day -day lives in our classes, we don't see them every day. Um, so we may not be seeing them every day ourselves, but are there a number of students maybe at RIT or in the local community who are facing uh, issues with DACA right now? We don't know. Um, like, DACA sort of like don't ask, don't tell. So, you you know, the administration or, you know, you even just your, your own personal life, like you would not know if someone's undocumented unless they tell you. Um, but and so like even the international student services, like they don't know unless a student discloses. Um, but, you know, as RIT, like we also do have like a very large international student population. Um, and I think that feelings about undocumented immigrants um, can also affect our feelings about documented immigrants and, and people here on temporary visas. And so wondering what happens to that community if we start changing how we feel about our undocumented population is that could be a big thing for our school. Yeah, so it really, you know, I, I think this issue goes uh, to the heart of what it means to be American and how we treat people at risk because these kids are innocent. They 
they were brought here by their parents. You know, imagine that you're in a car and your parents are speeding. You, you know, you're not the one with the foot on the pedal. So the kids came here and they grew up here, and they essentially are American right now. And so you ask why this is happening. Um, you know, President Trump was elected president of the United States, taking a hard line on immigration, and the DREAM Act was never passed. And so there's no law protecting the kids, right? And so if you care about these kids, you'd really want to see the DREAM Act taken up and actually passed, because that would solve the problem. President Trump, I think he's a little conflicted about what to do about the kids. You saw he was sort of wishy-washy about, you know, are they going, are they staying, are they going, are they staying, you know, th you know that kind of thing. But he ran on that. Elections have consequences, as President Obama uh, said when he won. And so Obama put together the, um, the memo, essentially saying we're going to let him stay. And Trump said, hey, look, um, we're getting rid of that and these kids can now be kicked out of the United States, basically ruining their lives, sending them back home to a country that's not their country anymore. I mean, when you think about it, any one of us, uh, maybe I'm a little too old, but uh, any one of us could be a DACA kid, and all of a sudden imagine being sent back to, uh, you know, Korea. You know, you might not even speak Korean, right? So it's, it's really cha challenging. It's really frightening. I'll tell you, when Trump won, I think there was a lot of fear coursing through the immigrant community uh, because these people are at risk. They've been working hard. Uh, most studies show that, on average, they um, are more law-abiding, actually, than U.S. citizens. So they're working really hard, but they're, at a lot of, um, they're under um, a lot of threat. And so you're asking you know, whether you know them or not. You may not know them. Um, somebody in this room could be a, a, a DACA beneficiary. Uh, and it's not as if they want to go around saying that because they don't want to get deported. Right. So uh, maybe you don't have an answer for this, but is there some sort of justification for uh, rescinding DACA policies? Or is it more of just a political movement uh, to signify that Trump does not support massive immigration from foreign countries? Well, you know, I got to tell you, um, there, there are justifications of varying degrees. Jeff Sessions, the attorney general, announced the rescission of the DACA memo. And when he came out announcing the rescission, he said, hey, look, we have to be a law-abiding country, and, you know, we got to worry about crime, violence, and terrorism. And to me, it was this very strange juxtaposition of um, crime, violence, and terrorism, and kids right, who mm -hmm. came here through no fault of their own and have been working hard. Um, we expect that they're going through with their educations or military service. And so you ask about justification. I suppose it depends on what your perspective is. Um, I think it's very strange to talk about innocent kids in the context of terrorism. I think it means and it signifies that something peculiar is going on, something not quite right is going on in, in your head. But um, by and large, they say they want to um, they don't want this policy because presidents don't have the authority, they argue. Um, it has to be something done by Congress. They say that President Obama overused his power uh, as president, uh, his power of prosecu prosecutorial discretion. Um, and they also say that this is just part of uh, an unlawful uh, mess at the border, and they want people to follow the law, and, and these kids technically didn't follow the law because they were brought across the border and they didn't have the documents allowing them to come across the border. So I guess another way to look at it is that 
although these kids may not, you know, actually by definition are not guilty of any crimes and, and they are upstanding citizens, it's kind of an easier target since it was an executive action. So in order to make a make a move against immigration, I guess, it was easier to, to try to repeal this. Yeah, I mean, well, the it's it's just an executive order. Like, right. it's just a temporary thing. It was never supposed to be permanent. Um, I believe the DREAM Act was in Congress before, and now they're they're bringing it back up again. Is that um, has the current Dream Act that's been re- like being debated right now in Congress? Is that a revision at all of the previous one, or is it basically the same policy that they're trying to push forward? Well, they would be trying to push forward something that fit along the same lines as as what we have now, because it's roughly seven hundred thousand people who are at risk at this point in time. So it's a lot of people. And come March, they're going to start expiring. I think at about the rate of 30000 a month, because when they got DACA, it wasn't permanent. It's not a lawful status. It's just saying we're not going to arrest you and deport you. You're still illegal. And so it's granted in two-year increments. It's going to expire at the rate of about 30,000 people per month. But you saw what happened is Trump was a little conflicted. Um, you know, they're coming, they're going, like I was saying. And so he, as he said, he had Nancy and Chuck over, uh, the leaders of the Democrats, and they thought they came to a deal. But then there's a lot of um, horse trading, I guess, and some of his people put pressure on him. And so he had to back down and say, hey, look, I'm going to want you guys to promise to build my big, huge wall um, and, you know, start hiring mass amounts of immigration cops and stuff like that. And uh, so the deal started to unravel. So, yeah, um, it's in Congress. It's an important issue. I think Trump's conflicted. uh, But the... uh, the question is whether they can come to a deal and how much he's going to demand in return for protecting these kids, essentially. So he's holding the kids hostage in a way. Yeah. Right. And I'm curious, how does that feel to you as, as an actual immigration lawyer? How are you seeing this affecting your clients and people around you? Well, like I said, I hinted at it earlier when I talked about uh, Jeff Sessions, the attorney general. I think this is really wrong. Mm-hmm. Okay, I don't think you should I don't think you should go after the kids who were brought here. I mean, basically, they're innocent. And I don't think you should punish innocent innocent people. And to just send them out of the United States could be pretty tough. I mean, they may not have family in other parts of the world. You know, I've heard, you know, some people get deported to a country they can't, where they can't speak the language, and they end up living under a bridge. I don't know what would happen to all 700,000 of these people. But I, I think it's profoundly wrong um, to look to deport this group of people, given that they've grown up in the United States and it's the only country they've known. Now, it's part, as I was saying earlier before we started, I think it's part of a larger problem in our country, the immigration problem. A lot of people in my field say that the immigration system is broken. Uh, The immigration system should basically meet our dreams and ideals and economic needs. The immigration system lets refugees into the country. It lets people bring their loved ones into the country. If you marry, you know, you may go to France, fall in love, and want to bring your spouse here. It allows companies to hire people. And right now, we don't have it set up so that it allows companies to hire the people they need to work, right? Our agricultural industry needs a lot of workers. Our construction industry needs a lot of workers. And the legal system isn't there to facilitate matching employers with employees to the benefit of our national economy. And so we have people essentially saying, hey, look, we're desperate for employees. We're going to hire these people. And the people come to the United States. They overstay. They're hardworking. 
it's not right that they break the law. I mean, I don't, I don't think anybody says that, but the fact is, is you have to look at reality and they're here. And the second fact is, is they brought their kids. So what do you do with the kids? Um, so I, I think, you, you know, even immigration lawyers may disagree. Um, some are, uh, again, focused on the fact that the, the law was broken. It was. Um, but I also think it's fair to look at the bigger picture, you know, and the equities. You know, what are the positives and what are the negatives? And they're good kids. They work hard. So I don't know. If there was an act that was passed that provided a pathway to citizenship for these kids, um, just in keeping in line with the U.S.'s um, their priority of family reunification, like wouldn't that also kind of eventually lead to their parents also becoming citizens and their their own kids and their their siblings and their cousins? So I think a, a big probably fear with passing DACA and the Dream Act is like where do we draw that line? Um, you know, and how much can we actually take in? And I, I think a lot of people are also very scared of um, the economic repercussions of having all these people come in, which um, in general, I'm under the impression that that's like a false fear. Um, but I, was, I don't know if you have anything to add. Or you know, I'm not, I guess I'm not an economist, but um, you, you clearly did some research, right? Because if the kids ultimately are allowed to be citizens in the United States, then at some point they'll be able to petition for their parents to obtain lawful status. And that's a concern um, uh, that is expressed by people who are concerned about allowing the kids to obtain status. Um, you could negotiate a deal that the kids could obtain lawful status without the um, legal standing to sponsor their parents. Mm. I mean, if you wanted to do a deal to say, hey, look, we're going to protect the kids, the parents will have to have some other deal. Um, but, you know, a law can be, um, you can slice it and dice it however you want. And if you give the kids green cards, permanent resident status, you might say, hey, look, you'll never be able to sponsor your parents. And it'll help the kids now. So it's a strategic thing with the Democrats and, and what are they going to do in that regard. As far as the economy goes, uh, I was just watching a, a report that a liberal-leaning organization was indicating that if the kids were all kicked out, it could cost a close to a trillion dollars over the next 10 years because those kids represent people who are going to uh, be working uh, in the United States. I, I was listening to an individual who works in... Um, import-export, and he was saying that if we got rid of all the people who are here undocumented, it would be devastating to people who are loading goods on planes, trains, and trucks and all that kind of stuff, because a lot of foreign nationals are doing that. If we have 10 million people in the country um, who are undocumented and we kick them out tomorrow, that's going to be 10 million people who are not working. So if you're wondering about the economic impact, it would cause our economy to contract significantly, because that's a lot of people. Yeah, I think a lot of this is also um, just that we don't really value a lot of types of work anymore. Our society really, we value being highly educated. We value being professionals. We value white collar jobs. Um, and, you know, if you are, if you're like, hey, like this is, you know, I'm not going to aim for that or that's not the life I chose, you know, like that's not valued anymore in our society. And the, the place that our parents grew up in where most people didn't go to college and, you know, they would get their first job and they, you know, have their families. Like, that's not really here anymore. And I think there's a lot of um, just disrespect for, you know, workers that that don't have college degrees and things like that. I think that's, like, really harmful um, to just how we think about our our communities and then also just the, the success of our own lives. Yeah. Um, and, you know, Kendra, you know, that it's a really important point that you mentioned, and I think it's part of um, – why this is a very tough issue. 
uh, because we have many people who were born in the United States who have careers in um, non-college educated roles, and they're worried about their future. You might have kids in those roles. And so part of it is you're seeing, you know, these kids are innocent, but are they going to be competing with um, the kids of people who were born here? And how should that all, all work out? And so it's a tough issue, and it hasn't been solved uh, partly because um, you do see um, some significant racism in our country, but also because people have legitimate concerns. And so I think it's quite, uh, it's quite complex. The, um, the laws, again, when you think about what our legislature is supposed to do, it should look at what you're talking about, Kendra, and trying to figure out how we can have a better life for people who are working in all different kinds of careers. It should also look at um, how we can help our businesses succeed. And so the immigration law, again, as I mentioned earlier, really needs to look at um, supporting all different aspects of the economy. And that includes jobs that you think might not have a lot of social respect, but we still need to do them. You know, if you want to drink milk, you have to have people working at a dairy farm. And if you don't have people working at a dairy farm, then you're going to buy your milk from another country. I don't know if that's good or bad, but but that is what will likely happen. Uh, so it sounds like DACA and the immigration as a whole is an incredibly complicated issue. Uh, and we could sit around talking about this all day, but unfortunately we are out of time. Um, <laughs> so thank you very much for coming. Um, and to our listeners, thank you for listening to this episode of Reporter Podcast. Uh, make sure to catch this article in stands and online in November. Uh, and follow us on social media at Reporter, oh, excuse me, at Reporter Mag on Twitter, uh, Facebook, and Instagram. And our website, if you want to go read us online, is reporter.rit.edu. And finally, don't forget to call Rings. Uh, it's an anonymous hotline for Reporter. If you have any opinions you want to share, it'll maybe show up in the magazine uh, at 585-672-4840. Thanks for listening.